What's up, everybody? Welcome to a special edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, one of the two hosts of this show and co-founder of the Surf and Sales Summit. We've got a couple tickets left. Join us in Costa Rica. Learn about sales, leadership, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. November 27th to December 1st. Check it out on surfandsales.com. Here with my good friend, Richard Harris. How's it going, my man? It is going very, very well. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, we are recording this episode early uh, for July. So if you're listening to this in July, uh, we recorded this a little early because we're both going on vacation. Um, we were thinking that if we could try to do an episode while Scott's in Europe and I'm in Africa, that'd be cool. But then it interrupts our vacation and family time. And we've decided. Logistics. Yeah. Where in Africa are you going, Richard? We are going to Uganda um, to uh, see gorillas and track with gorillas and um, do a little uh, investigation of the Ebola virus. Make sure, just kidding, um, we're not doing that part. And then we're going down to South Africa, which I'm super excited about. We've been another safari, but um, I'm going to Scott. Do you remember one of my bucket list items in life? Yeah, you're gonna. Are you gonna do this? Great white shark cage. Yes, I'm going to do the great white shark. Oh my God. Listen, so everybody's main takeaway here, I will be interviewing for a new co-host uh, <laughs> in early August after Richard has an unfortunate shark cage incident in South Africa. I can't believe you'd even put that out there. I can't believe it. But uh, Scott, well, it's, no the, it's the reverse curse. It's the reverse curse. Thank we you. are we're, we're joined here today by uh, our friend Austin Schiffer. Closed. We're going to bring him in in just a second. Richard, first of all, tell everybody about our wonderful sponsors, HubSpot, and uh, what they're up to. Hey, everybody, it is Richard Harris. I'm taking a quick moment to interrupt the show. Um, we recorded this episode a little bit before July, and because of that, we need to drop in our sponsor ads. Scott and I are actually on vacation this month. I'm somewhere between Uganda and South Africa when you're listening to this in July of 2023 and Scott's somewhere gallivanting around Europe. We want to take a moment and thank the HubSpot Podcast Network. We appreciate all they're doing to support the sales community, to support us as Surf and Sales and everyone else engaged. So I want to talk to you a little bit about their AI tools. They've got one tool that I really want to talk about called ChatSpot. Uh, it's a conversational bot. Obviously, it's built on the ChatGPT model and the API there. Uh, and whether you want to pull metrics on the fly, write a quick report referencing data, or drafting ideas for an email or anything else, ChatSpot can help you do it. And it's automated, so it can help take all the manual tasks inside of HubSpot and help you engage more with customers, close more deals, and scale your business faster. So you can do all this, and it works within the CRM. It's super cool. We really, really like it. Uh, get, you can find out more about how to use AI to grow your business at HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. HubSpot.com slash artificial dash intelligence. And now back to the show. All right. Welcome to the show, Austin. How's it going, man? Good, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Glad you, uh, glad you can make it. Tell everybody a little bit about what you do over at Closed and what Closed is so they have context for your experience. Sure, yeah, ha happy to jump in. First and foremost, 
I'm jealous of these vacations that both of you are, are going on. Uh, no, no fun vacations coming up um, from, from my side, but excited to hear about these. Obviously, this will be posted a little bit late. Um, a little, little bit of an introduction to myself. I was listening to a, a few podcasts that the both of you have done before jumping on this morning. And Richard, I think as I look at my career, you and I, our, our careers and backgrounds a little bit, a little bit uh, comparable to each other. You, you shared your experience starting at Gap. I, I started in retail early, early on in my career as, as well. Um, and then my first introduction to sales was actually as, as well. I almost got almost got fired. I, not working at Gap, I was working at Vans, the, the shoe store here in Salt Lake City, and um, decided this was not for me. So Austin, we, have, we have more in common than you know, because when I first started at Gap uh, in college, when I was trying to make it my career, I did get fired. So we do okay. have, and I got rehired. I had to, I had to grind it to get it back, but uh, we do have that. What did you do to get fired at Vans? <sighs> Our our manager, it was during the winter time. We're and, and I'm I'm here in Salt Lake City, and so if you've ever been to Salt Lake City, you know that we we claim to have the best snow on earth. And I'm, I'm probably biased. I think we do have some of the best snow on earth. But this was, I, I took a snowboarding trip with some friends, and apparently I was posted to work some of those days. I had no idea that I was supposed to work some of those days, so I didn't show up for these shifts and. Coming back from the snowboard trip, I learned that my, my position was eliminated. So um, that was that was the story. That was the quick firing story. Did you did you get rehired or were they like, get the heck out of here? I wasn't as uh, lucrative as you were. They didn't like me as much as Gab liked you. Um, no, that was the end of it. I left the bands and, and frankly never looked back. But I hope they're not listening to this podcast. Will you will you will you wear their shoes? My wife wishes that I would wear their shoes. She loves them. She's from she's from San Clemente, California. So talking about surfing, one of the one of the best places to surf on the West Coast. And everybody there wears vans, but for some reason I'm I'm more of like a, a Nike and on running. It's a new new shoe brand that I that I thoroughly enjoy. So he's boycotting. He's boycotting vans, Richard. Yeah. Yeah. I was just waiting for him to say he likes the Sperry boat shoes or something like no. that. How long how long ago did you move role away from an individual contributor role? Really recent. So at the, the beginning of this year, frankly, uh, had, had a little bit of exposure to, to leadership before formally making the, the jump. Um, here, at, here at Close, we do kind of like a transitioning period from an individual contributor into like a, a pod lead, so to speak, or your mentoring, player coaching reps. Um, and then when you make the formal transition into a team lead, you're, you're doing a little bit more of that, but with a, a larger pool of, of reps. So at the beginning of this year is when I started. It's been an incredible transition. It's been fun, a lot of learning, a lot of exciting things happening. Um, but yeah, that's when that's when I formally had the opportunity was beginning of this year. What what was the first thing where you were like, oh, shit, they didn't tell me that was going to happen when you became a leader? The first thing I didn't realize sitting in this individual, sitting in this player coach chair, I didn't realize, I always thought my leaders 
when they were working in spreadsheets, when they were working in Word docs and Excel files, I always wondered like, what what are you working on? What what are you doing from a forecasting perspective that takes so much time? And I I didn't really understand the the nuances and how much was actually involved with with running the business from a leadership perspective and how much involvement and responsibility that you that you have to report well to the business to forecast well to be accurate in those in that forecast and so that's one of the things that's been most fun in this transition that I didn't I wasn't as well prepared for as I thought I was if you, was, if you had known that stuff earlier in your sales career how if at all would it would it have affected you as a seller would um I don't know that it would as a as a seller naturally my, my tendencies i i lean to to like working with individuals love opportunities to coach and train and, and enable um I, i've been lucky to have a, a somewhat successful career in in my short stint in tech um and so and and, and luckily here it closed as, as well so when i started it closed i started as an individual contributor had some exposure to, to some of the things that the, the business requires from the leadership perspective. But I don't know, Scott, that it would have changed much. I love, I love the role that I'm in. I love this transition period. What, what advice would you go back and tell yourself to go? How long have you been in leadership? Let's even define that. How, when did you get promoted? So it's May, May 31st today. Um, got promoted formally January 1st of this year. Um, but it was about middle of last year that I started doing this little pod lead um, type of transition. So formally, Richard, six months. So what did you do? Because I think this is the part. People don't know how they get promoted, right? Sometimes they think it's a tenure base or if I work harder or um, and, and doing, you know, maybe I don't know if you did the interview, help with interviewing and onboarding. But what did you do to let your managers know you wanted to be promoted? Because mm -hmm. I think that's the piece that people forget they have to do. Yeah. I think the, the piece of, of letting your manager know that you want to be promoted, consistent communication in one-on-ones, consistent career planning sessions. So I, what I think would you ask, yeah. So what would you so you go in and you tell Scott, hey Scott, you know, I, I think I'd like to move into management. You know, and and I know Scott well enough to know they'd be like, great without even having it written out, but here's your playbook. Here's the things you should be doing. Questions did you ask after you said that, right? Or did your leader really take you under their wing and say, okay, great, here are the five things you need to know, or did you have to start asking quite Like, I really wanna give people that, that, well, what should I do once I even tell them that I wanna be a manager? And where did you yeah. get them? It, it, I think it starts well before that conversation, if you will, Richard. I think that there are multiple different over the stint of your career, times and opportunities for you to, to prove yourself as an individual contributor before there's this one conversation for, for you to be introduced to leadership. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that particularly. Um, when, when I think about my career, any successful individual contributor is lying to you if they didn't have really strong mentors, really strong individuals that help them get to get to where they were. Um, but, but the thing that I always thought about in, in these question asking sessions was what is my manager thinking? What is my direct leader 
that I report to, what are they concerned with? What are they thinking about? What's top of mind for them? And, and is there anything that I can do in my realm of control or realm of influence in the org to go solve some of those problems? And so that was what was always at the forefront of my mind is like, who, who, whomever it is that I'm reporting to, what are the problems they're facing, experiencing? How can I go solve that as an individual? Did you know? Did you know what those problems were? Or did you ask? Hey, you know, tell me what you work on. Like, like this again. This is that weird part where people, no one's taught them to do these things. So I'm curious if that's what you did, or if I'm on a different path than you. I almost thought of it like discovery, right? You think about a, a sales process and doing discovery throughout the entirety of the sales process. That's that's what it was. No one taught me how to ask these questions. A lot of it was in one-on-ones at the end of one-on-ones that I would have. You know, I brought some agenda items to cover, but then I'd, I'd leave five or 10 minutes to be like, hey, what, what are you focused on? Like, what can I do as an individual contributor? We have a joke with our, our head of sales here that Austin asks way too many damn questions. And that's, that's the truth. Like, curious sales reps, are some of the best sales reps, in, in my opinion. I think that might have been a topic of a podcast that, that the both of you had not too long ago. Um, but it, it really just takes asking those questions and getting in the habit of asking those questions. Yeah, I, I agree. What were the things they were telling you? What were the things they were saying? Oh, you know, this is what I'm working on. Because I, I want to try and give people this vision. They were probably like, listen, Austin, get back on the phone. Right. <laughs> Which is what Scott would do. They're like, don't fucking bother me with that. Yeah. A couple things. A, a couple things come to mind. And and I'm gonna give a hot take if that's okay with the both of you. I want, I want the both of your thoughts here. Um this is nothing that the both of you aren't aren't well aware of and that's being discussed on a daily basis, but sales sales right now is tough. Like it is Bottom line, it is so tough and arguably, again, a hot take here, but right now I think sales is probably one of the hardest careers or functions inside of an organization. And this economic uncertainty, economic doubt, label it, call it, call it what you will. Um, when I was sitting in those, in those one-on-ones, a lot of it and a lot of sales leaders right now are so focused on pipeline generation. Scott, you, I think you said like, go make some calls, or Richard, you said go, go make some calls. Obviously volume's a huge piece of that. Um, and we're probably a bit more passionate about this than we should be, but um, focusing on like what's actually inside of your pipeline and taking the deals that you do have inside of pipeline. That was when you asked like, what was the feedback that they gave you, Richard, in these one-on-ones was with the existing opportunities that you have, with the deals that are inside of your pipeline, how can we obsess over those opportunities to get them over the finish line? And frankly, I think there's so much focus right now with the economic uncertainty of just dumping leads, top of funnel, top of funnel, top of funnel, like get deals into pipeline that maybe there's not as much focus into the deals that we have. And again, obsessing over that, getting them over the finish line. Yeah, yeah. The, I think that everybody is sort of expecting to have this massive pipeline and then everybody's going to suddenly purchase in 2024 or 2025 and then we're going to finally bear the fruits of all this hard work. I, it's going to be like the airline industry. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. 
It's a really it's a really good point. Spending more time inside of the deals that you're you're working, um, and have belief that you can still get some things done. Right? <clears throat> How are you pushing your team right now to do just that to get deals done? There's more and more chatter. Make sure you're multi-threaded. Make sure you're talking X's and O's and, you know, prepared to have conversations with the CFO and stuff like that. Is there any outside the box tactic that's been working for you and, and your team or, or anything, anything at all that's been working, I guess, that um, you can pass on? Yeah, a couple couple thoughts come to mind. Um, I mentioned that we're, we're based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. That means I'm a big University of Utah football fan. So I'd be controversial. Some listeners might might think we're as crappy as a team as sometimes we are year over year. But head coach head coach Kyle Whittingham. Kyle Whittingham has been a, a longtime head coach of, of the University of Utah, and he talks about details. He is so detail-obsessed with his team and with his players. And, and Scott, when you say out of box, I don't know if I have an incredibly out of box example or answer for you, but too, too common. I, I feel like sales reps don't obsess over details. And anyone that's on my team knows that I, I'm a bit OCD and a bit obsessive. Sorry. I think, ahead. I think a lot of salespeople are terrible with details in general. So it's re, it, this is like a really difficult thing for, for a lot of sellers. I don't like details. No, you don't. But what kind of details are you telling your sales reps to pay attention to? Yeah, a, a couple. Um, details inside helping the customer get what they want. And I'll explain what I, what I mean by that. Too often we follow that there, there are so many sales frameworks. There are so many sales methodologies. We, we subscribe to a couple of them. I don't think there's a perfect sales process, sales methodology. There's great from from each of them. Challenger, Medic, um, but when I when I talk about details, so some things that that I that I feel like sales reps too too common get in this rut of like taking a customer through this really really rigid sales process. Our first call, we're going to do discovery. We're going to make you sit through a 25 30 minute discovery call, and then after this discovery call. We're going to show you a demonstration of, of our software. Those frameworks and that rigidity is so important. There, there is a place for that. But I, I love the line I had a sales leader tell me one time, like, let buyers be buyers. And if you're listening to what they're wanting or you're listening, obsess over what they're telling you that they might want or they might want to see. That's one small detail, Richard, when, when you asked that question. That's one small detail that, I, that I'm having my reps do is so hyper focus on what buyers are, are wanting outside of the sales process and, and read their body language, read the things that they're sharing with you. They'll, they'll tell you how they, how they want to buy or not buy in my yeah, mind. I love what you just said, which was obsess over letting buyers be buyers, right? You marinate in that stuff, right? I talk about that all the time. Like you don't handle objections, you marinate in them, right? When they bring it up, you ask more questions, not, oh, well, here's our workaround and all that kind of stuff. So. That's a really good example. Um, you know, getting to know your your profile and your background, right? Um, you know, I know I know you've done some missionary work in your life. Um, what what did you learn in that process and that experience that you think helped you 
um, in, in terms of just giving knowledge. I mean, I think I know a lot of the answers, but I want to hear it from you. You, you did it. Yeah. Um, spending two years in Northern California is a totally different experience than being in Southern California. That's that's probably one of the first things that I learned is like it's. Wait, your missionary work was in California. It was yes. That's not the assignment that you were probably thinking, Richard. No, you were thinking. What you were thinking, he was in like you know, Bosnia, Herzegovina, some African Southeast Asia country. Right, right. What were you doing? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, so I I was serving a a two-year church service mission, um, and and particularly for the church, what that consists of is proselyting, a, a ton of service opportunities, and, and a lot of, frankly, work in that process to, to the point that you were making, Scott, you guys mentioned these vacations are going on soon here, Europe and, and Africa. These are the places that you think you're going to get sent, potentially, as a church service missionary. And I had a lot of friends, a, a lot of close friends that got sent to places like Fiji and Argentina. Um, did you did, it's sort of like getting assigned a bad territory in sales. I think that's the first thing you learned. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it, right? So, so yeah, so so what did you learn from this, right? So just whether it was the work itself or even the managing the I, I mean, I know you're happy with the work you did, and I know that it's a, it's for a very good cause and the greater good, but maybe there was some disappointment and sadness there. But right? did it help you learn to sell? One hundred and fifty percent. So many learning lessons out there learning learning to sell. And I'll explain when when you say what was the biggest thing that I learned systems as a in this in this role, <laughs> you are very systematic and deliberate with your day from the moment that you wake up to the moment that you put your head on on the pillow at night. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned is that in sales, if you set up a system on a day-to-day basis and you back out of that to like a weekly and a monthly and a quarterly basis, you have these systems that your day is set up from the moment that you walk into the office or those that are working remotely, that the moment that you log on to your computer, if you have these systems in place and these non-negotiables, it really isn't the hardest job in the entire world. Obviously, there's tough things to navigate with sales and things of that sort, but if you set up systems, and that was the biggest thing that I learned, is is setting these systems up, these non-negotiables on a daily basis that I was committed to, and then staying committed to those. There, There is... I don't know another experience that taught me those those things more than than this two year two year experience did. That sounds very familiar, Scott. It sounds like what you probably did as an athlete. Yeah, there's there's some truth to that, but um, I'm pretty sure that what Austin did was a lot more challenging and, and prepared him for sales more. I would think. What would Richard and I have to improve at in our salesmanship in order to be an effective missionary i don't know i don't know that there's a lot the both of you are great conversationalists the, the that sounds yeah come on you can don't be afraid you can insult us you can please, tell us what we God, lack please. we obviously lack something like right. a uh i have very thin skin so just let scott have it 
You're great conversationalist. Yes, yes. Open-ended questions, and this is the name of the game with with podcasting, right? Um, goodness, I don't know. You're catching me off guard here. I don't even know what feedback to to give the the both of you. Maybe the facial hair. Maybe the facial hair might be might be one. Um, Scott, I can't grow any facial hair, so I, I guess this is more of jealousy than than anything. Well, you were you were made you were made for it. You were made for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you definitely were made for it. So, but seriously, like, what is there's got to be something where it's like, okay, here's the difference of face to face versus what you guys spend time on, you know, or or what a traditional salesperson like. Here's a difference that you know, and I think you, in fairness to to Scott and and his facial hair that. That's a fair option. I mean, that's a fair suggestion. What else? Selling over Zoom, meeting with people over Zoom is was a transition for me. Um, pri prior to getting into tech, I, I was actually in banking. So Richard, after, after I, I was in retail, I got into banking, eventually got into tech, but banking was very a, a good transition for me where you were meeting with customers and, and with individuals on a frequent basis face-to-face. Face -face. And so when I had to have my first sales call over a Zoom call, I thought it was so odd. Like, I thought it was so weird that we weren't going and visiting this potential customer, that we weren't doing this face-to-face. -face. Um, and, and frankly, when I first got into tech, we one of the most underutilized things is your camera, turning your camera on. I'm always coaching my reps telling them they, they need to have their camera on in, in any type of call. Like it's so good to get that face-to-face face -face interaction as much as you can over a Zoom call, right? Um, but we weren't using our video when, when I was when I was back at the, the first company that I started at in the tech space. We were just using and, and running demos, having someone log on to a Zoom call and, and we weren't using video. So I, I don't know if this answers your question well, Richard, but but I think the the face-to-face -face people seeing who you are seeing your your reactions, your facial expressions, your tonality, like that, that's so important in selling. Because at the end of the day, people are people, man. Pe people want to buy from people. They don't want to buy from robots. I know that sounds so basic, but um, there, there's, a, there's a reason why, why some of the top, top reps you read about on LinkedIn or you, you read these thought leadership individuals, they talk about having your camera on while, while you're selling. It's important in my mind. People yeah, don't want to buy from robots, but we want robots to do all the selling for us. Right. Right. This what's, is confusing to me. What's Does this not crazy? Compute. Does what's not compute. With AI. I don't get it. I don't understand it. We'll pause here. Richard can uh, take us home. We've got a uh, from the HubSpot group. Richard, tell everybody what's going on. All right, I have not yet escaped a lion, even though that's where I am in Africa. I could also be with gorillas. I could also be diving with sharks, depending on when you listen to this episode in July of 2023. Taking a quick moment here to let you know about the HubSpot Podcast Network in a great episode uh, with Donald Miller, who has Business Made Simple podcast. It's really good. Uh, this episode's titled, Take the First Step to Double Your Revenue to Get Today. Uh, in this episode, Donald walks you through a practical worksheet, yep, an actual worksheet, that will help you reverse engineer a plan to double your revenue. Uh, you'll learn more how to determine which products you should focus on selling more and to get the buy-in from the rest of your team to accomplish the goal. Remember, it's focusing on buy-in, not buying. 
The more you focus on buy-in, the better you perform. Uh, to help your team accomplish that goal, and if you're tired of being stuck in the same revenue year after year, this is the episode for you. Again, it's Donald Miller, our good friend hosting the Business Made Simple podcast. We'll see you soon. All right. So uh, coming coming back to what you were just saying, Austin, um, I, I think he's right, Scott. I think the biggest thing we'd have to work on is our in-person presence. Not, you know, not just physical, but, you know, just eye contact and, you know, it's a little easier to be allowed to be distracted on Zoom calls um, than it is if you're in person, right? You can't go slide over and check your LinkedIn like I know Scott Lee is probably doing right now. <laughs> it's a chaos right. over there. I'm staying right. away. So, uh, so I, I actually think that was a really good, a really good piece in my mind for, for what you said. Uh, I got a I got a weird question for you, Austin, because you know I'm looking at, at your background and mine, connected and not connected, and so I'm going to be a little vulnerable. How did you get here? We you and I don't really have a strong relationship on LinkedIn and stuff like that. How did you get on our podcast? This is a good question. I'm I'm wondering as well. No, no, no. no. <laughs> that would be the absolute best answer that we, there we was. might need. That and might be all three of us for like. Who is responsible for this booking? Right. Yeah. I'll tell, um, tell everybody what you did. Yeah. So I, and I'm going to remind here, if the both of you are okay with that, Scott, I think I making a connection to you, my, my background lends a little bit to some of the experience or exposure you got to early tech companies. Um, I, I was at a tech company previous to close. We were a pretty big company and I'm not big as relative nowadays. We're about a thousand employees. I got a LinkedIn message from the, the founder of Close, where I'm at today, talking about this 13, 12, 13 person company. And I always had this craze, like I want to go build something. I want to go work for a startup and be a part of building something from the ground floor. You talk about that in a couple of your in a couple of your podcasts. Um, and that's what that's what I wanted. And, and over here to close, I think when I when I finally came over, we were about 18, 20 employees, if you will. So somewhere around there. When, when I got here, one of the things that I focused on was getting to know every single individual inside of the organization. And that is not hard to do in a small company. That's not hard to do when you're in a, a, a thousand, I don't even know how many square feet office we were in. It was bigger than a thousand square foot office. But Richard, what I did was try to get to know every single individual at the company. And not only get to know them, but develop a relationship with them. And, and one thing that the team that handles these these podcasts, these podcasts that we do is our marketing team. And I, I try to stay as much as I can involved cross functionally with other leaders and stakeholders inside of the organization. And so any anyone younger in their career, anyone that's that's thinking about getting exposure to executive level leadership or thinking about progressing in your career. One of the best things that I did was talk with other people inside of the organization. Go sit at someone else's desk, go pick their brain, ask them for help. People love nothing more. Maybe this is controversial, but in my mind, people like helping other people. And so what I did was I, I would really try to cross pollinate and work with other leaders or other departments here at Close. And that, that was a huge benefit to me in, in the long run as we've grown as a company. We're about 150 employees. Um, and, and when they thought about who we should have do this podcast, I don't know why they thought Austin Schaefer, but here, here we are today. There you go, Richard. That's the origin story right there. 
Yeah, and so now I'm going back, and now I figured it out that uh, it was Brindley Bird who who coordinated this. Um, well, but and, think about but think about all the way back, like Austin, somebody who asked lots of questions. He's always asking how help. He's always thinking about what his bosses or peers and colleagues need, right? And so constantly chiming in, speaking up, adding value, willing to do things bang he's the one that gets tapped on the podcast even though we don't know him very well he's earlier in his career um so kudos to you man for uh being willing to go above and beyond and, and making this happen so yeah so let brinley bird know that you uh did the podcast today so um because that's that's the one who got you here so she did her job she gets her she hit her quota so um which, which I'm glad to get to know you and, and having some conversations we don't necessarily have and asking people to, to give us advice. We don't do a lot. Um, sort of getting to the wrap to the end, you know, we do this at the end of every episode, which is uh, turn around you and see what questions we can answer for you. So anything you want to fire at us. Yeah. I'm interested from the, from the bullets here. Um, we just read as a leadership team, the book Amp It Up. Either of you familiar with Amp It Up by Frank Slootman? I'm not actually. I'm not. No. Frank's the, the CEO chairman at, at Snowflake. Um, he's run a couple, a couple really, really successful sales. You probably know that, Scott. You know, I don't, I'm not very good at current events. I agree, but he doesn't, I bet he doesn't know us either. So, you know, in fairness. He's probably seen Scott on LinkedIn. He doesn't get as many likes as you get on his posts, Scott. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that shows you how skewed the algorithm is that people pay attention to me on LinkedIn more than Frank. No, we, we, we read this as a leadership team. This is where I'm interested in, in your thoughts. Um, Frank talks about the idea of what got us here today isn't what's going to get us to, to where we want to be tomorrow. Where in your careers pivot? Is there an example of a time where you pivoted from something you were doing previously to get an entirely different result? Any thoughts, experiences there? It's a great question. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, there's a couple of them. And, and I use that phrase a lot too, is you know, the people who got you here may not be the people who get you where you want to go. Right? It's it's a very common uh, bingo card phrase. The um, for me, it was moving, and I think for a lot of people, it, it's that transition into tech, right? Like you went from a bank working at a bank to trying to move into tech, and that's a, a hard transition. Um, I did it in a recession, and so for me, it was a little bit of a forced piece where I was let go, and I'd always wanted to get into the tech sector, living in the Bay Area, and never really was able to find my my foot in the door. Um, and that's where Scott helped me get that piece in. We didn't know each other at that point. So I think that was that was that piece. And then the other piece is far more personal, which was, you know, what I've learned in my therapy is, you know, as as a younger person in my 20s, I was not curious. I was a know-it-all. And that part of my ego still sticks its head out on a very regular basis. Um, and I've gotten better at controlling it and managing it and coping with it um, and have become much more of a curiosity person. And I think that's the biggest piece is that moment you stop thinking you know it all and you start asking yourself more things about yourself 
that's where your best success is going to come from. So that that those are my two thoughts based on my question. Good question. Well, I can right. think I can think back 20 years ago and I had sort of maxed out how many times I could actually pick up the phone in a day and I started emailing people which 20 years ago was slightly revolutionary. I was and I figured out a way to kind of email people at a larger scale and created a little system. I didn't know, and it certainly wasn't polished, but it was my own version of a sequence looking back on it. So that was, that was one, just sort of recognizing that one channel, like I'd kind of max it out. I got to try something else if I want to do more. Um, certainly, I was running a couple teams in distributed offices all around the country at one point. Um, and then flipping from being a sales leader in that kind of environment to running a team of 150 all under one roof, that was a different exercise. And then, you know, I had spent the first year in more kind of transactional sales environments, fast sales cycle, lower, um, ASPs and whatnot. And the latter half of my career, I've moved way up market. So, you know, adjusting um, the mentality and the way that you pitch, uh, you know, based on who your persona is and the size of these deals and the complexity of these deals, you know, just recognizing that the way I was doing things before wasn't going to get it done and I had to adjust. And frankly, starting to think that way right now in terms of my consulting business even. Um, and a lot of the ways that teams, sales teams in general have, have gone to market over the last 20 something years, they're not working as good anymore. And, and so what happens next, right? And I've been talking a lot about that recently and kind of what I think where, where we're headed. So a few, and, and honestly, I feel like we're kind of in one of those times right now again, where what worked for me before might not work as well anymore, and I might need to adapt and adjust. Sure. Can I can I piggyback off of that, Scott? Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead, man. I and this is this is a concept that we're we're probably a bit more biased on. But when you, when you talk about sales teams and their go to market motion not working the same way today that it did, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, or what have you. This is this is the entirety of, of what we we live, eat, sleep, breathe here here at closed. We're, we're, we're a win loss solution. Think of this as like when when you were running sales teams of 150 plus sales reps, it's really, really hard to to understand like amongst those 150 sales reps, why why each of those sales reps are losing sales opportunities. Um, and there's nuances to that. The conditions change, markets change, competitors change so frequently. And, and so we, we help companies understand why they win and lose deals. Um, that's, that's a, a total side plug. But I think about, um, back in 2017, June of 2017, um, in, in my opinion, one of the most exciting like happenings in the world of sports, a little bit closer to, to some of your neck of the woods, Richard, in, in California. Um, Golden State was playing Cleveland 
right? And Cleveland goes down 3-1 in the this NBA. Is, uh, this is painful. It's about to get painful. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Maybe this is controversial. I shouldn't be bringing this up, but I, I, I listened to the post-game interview with, with LeBron to the point that you were making earlier, Scott. And after they after they win game seven, whether you like him, hate him, what whatever it is, he mentioned that he had to change like the entirety of his approach. He he said in the first two games, he called it out. He's like, I sucked. I sucked the first. I had to watch a lot of game film, detail it out, change the blueprint. And I think a lot of companies right now are nervous to change their blueprint. They're nervous to change what they're doing. Um, and so a shameless plug here, if you're a sales leader listening to this, wondering what can we go change? What can we go improve upon as a company? Um, you know, this this is the, what, what we're able to help with and, and offer here at Close. So I think you're absolutely right. Go-to-market functions have changed a lot over the years. And what, what worked previously might not be what works tomorrow, right? Yeah, I think it's all fair. I think that's really, really good. So um, it's always I think it's important to remember that it's always been that way. <laughs> it feels new and revolutionary for us just because we're living it right now. But, you know, if you rewind the tape 100 years, something new came along, killed off the other thing. Right. Yep. There's a there's a famous song. Google this. It's, the lyric is. What is that lyric, Richard? Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Right. That's your era 90s pop rock lyrics for you, Richard. Right there. Fine. Google that. that. Message us if you know who sang that song, and we will give you a prize. Austin, we appreciate you spending some time with us today on the Surf and Sales podcast. How can everybody get a hold of you, man? Yeah, LinkedIn LinkedIn is great. Um, Scott, I follow you. Richard, unfortunately, we aren't connected on LinkedIn. I scoured your LinkedIn 30 times before this podcast. You've probably gotten the notification. Austin Schaefer's viewing your profile. Scott, you as, you as well. Would love to connect with, with the both of you and anybody that's listening to this podcast. Last, last but not least, um, if you if you are at all interested in us conducting an interview with one of your lost deals, you lost a deal this quarter, you slipped, what have you, and you want to know why why a buyer didn't move forward, you can go to freebuyerinterview.com. Um, again, freebuyerinterview.com and fill out a form. We'll go conduct an interview with one of your one of your lost deals, and we're we're eager and excited about the feedback that you can get. So. That's one way to contact us. Otherwise, LinkedIn is a great way as well. Appreciate the both of you and, and having me on. Yeah, well, I'm gonna we're gonna let that slide. We usually don't let people pitch, but you're a really nice guy. He's, so he's snuck it. He's snuck it past us. Snuck it in. Snuck it in. So well done, Justin. Wait, he held it to the end. He held it in his pocket. Right. Well, Austin, but here. yes, close, close. Austin, sorry, I don't know why I said Justin. Sorry. That's sorry. okay. Um. So anyway, so that was well played, sir. Well played indeed, awesome. So, uh, well, thank you, man. It's a pleasure to get to know you. Yes, let's connect on LinkedIn. And folks, uh, please go check him out and catch up with him as well. Talk to you again next time. The recording has stopped. Well played, dude. We usually like, we usually interrupt people when they do that, and so uh, we let yeah, you we took it. We took it. We took it easy on him. Took it easy on him. Tell me, tell me this. I want your, I want the both of your feedback. So tell, tell me this. I'm, I'm fairly young in my career. I'm 20, 26. My wife and I are having our first kid here in the next month or so. 
Um, what advice do you have for somebody like myself just getting into leadership? I know this is off the record, but for real, like what leader? No, what this, this, this should have been the question you asked. Um, uh, but um, my first inclination is um, make sure you shut the laptop down at five o'clock. Oh, what? Yeah. Good fucking luck with that. That's, oh, wow. I'm not saying I that, you should yeah. have recorded this part. That would have been that was probably the best soundbite of the whole show. Right. Hard when you have the baby. Um, yeah. Particularly because your first one. He can't do that now, even when he has no baby. No way. I know. He's 26 years old. I have completely opposite advice. You're 26. When is the baby due? As long as possible. When is the baby due? June June 24th. Oh, you're fucked. It's almost here. Well, my advice was going to be: you're 26 years old. You're young. Like it's only going to get harder. Yeah. The demands on your time will only get stronger. You will simply not be able to work as much as you get older and have more responsibilities and commitments. So like now is actually the time to grind like never before. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was going to say. If you had like months still, but you're like three weeks away. So my, my actual advice would be, and it's on this exact topic. My actual advice would be you better have a candid conversation with your wife yeah. around expectations in terms of when you're working, when you're not working, all of this kind of stuff. Because you can do what Richard said, you turn your laptop off at five o'clock. I promise you, you will not advance as fast as you want to. Yeah. It won't happen, man. You can't learn fast enough. And all this feel good, like don't burn out, don't overwork yourself, work-life balance shit, I don't, I mean, you can try, but I don't know how you're going to get ahead because there's somebody else who's 26 years old, who's unencumbered with no wife and no kids, who's going to outwork you. I was that guy. Yep. I got married, I got married at, at, I got married on June 12th. I was 26 years old. I turned 27 days later. I started my first sales job 30 days after that. And my wife at the time was going to grad school at UC Berkeley. And so she was studying and working hard and gone a lot. And this like three year period of my life, all I fucking did was work or go surf with my buddies and talk about work. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And I'm talking like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go surf for a couple hours, do work from like 10 until midnight do it again. I would go into the office every single Saturday for hours. I did all of this insane stuff that everybody would tell you is stupid and doesn't work anymore. And what? Well, it worked for me simply in terms of career perspective and like getting where I wanted to be in terms of earning and all that kind of stuff. So you better have a conversation with your wife. So that expectation is clear because if you're trying to work, at seven, eight o'clock at night. Richard's point, her expectation is the laptop is off at five o'clock and it doesn't come up, come out again. You're going to have major conflict. So I would have that, those conversations now, man. Yeah. If you have a pool, if you have a pool of candidates, Scott, where we, I don't know what got into this is my generation of like, 
I only open up the laptop at nine o'clock and I shut it off at around four, four thirty or whatever it is. So I, I, we we are not the same. We are cut from a different cloth. I know nothing about that. It, this, when you say it, like working your your ass off, this sounds really really familiar, but it's fun. Like it's such a fun phase of life, and you can dedicate this, you know. And, and, and anyway, so I I appreciate both of your advice, Richard. Maybe I. Maybe I should shut the laptop down, but I, Scott, I think I'm a bit more like you where it's open and I'm working my, my ass off, but it's been fun and it's awesome. Don't misinterpret what I said. That doesn't mean you're going to do it. It just yeah. was the advice you had. Yeah. <laughs> so we should have recorded this part. So that would have been uh, All right, guys. Thanks hey, guys. Awesome. Hey, See you, Austin. Thanks.